Well, we've hit the month of March. That means March Madness. It also means spring football is right around the corner. Big 12 teams starting to get their spring practice underway. And we appreciate you joining us here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo, and it is great to be here with you each and every week. And by the way, we've got Big 12 tournament tickets. Yep, Big 12 tournament semifinal tickets. We are giving them away to one lucky listener. All you have to do is leave a rating, review, subscribe to the podcast, and send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we will get you in. Yes, your chance to win Big 12 tournament tickets, semifinal tickets on Friday to the doubleheader. It's going to be great. So Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. Send me a screenshot of that podcast rating and review, and we'll get you entered to win. We'll talk to basketball coming up in uh, 10 minutes with Matthew Postens, but right now, with spring practice underway for certain Big 12 programs, I put together a list of the biggest question I have for each Big 12 team heading into spring ball. So let's get right to that and go in order, uh, alphabetically. Start with the Baylor Bears. How will Dave do? That's my question. Now, I know the season's not here, so you're not going to get a good gauge in spring, how he's going to do. You can't win or lose in spring ball. But what is different? What is similar to Matt Rule? Is he trying to put his own mark on the program? He will. Any coach would want to do that. How much different is it? How much different does it feel? That'll be told through the story the local media shares with us. How much access they get that maybe they had or did not have under Matt Rule. Those are all things that we're going to learn from Dave Aranda this spring because, you know, we don't know what it's going to be like come the fall. You don't get a great look at the playbook, right? You don't get a lot of uh, insights and analysis, especially with some of these programs during spring ball. But you get a feel for where this team is at. And after last year, going all the way to the Big 12 championship game, playing in the Sugar Bowl, and then Matt Rule leaves and goes off to the NFL. Don't forget this. Baylor won a lot of very close games last year. Baylor's a few bounces away from instead of being 11-1 and heading to the Big 12 title game, they're a few bounces away from 8-4, and which still would have been a really good season. But it's not 11-1. and So is there a hangover? And what is Dave Aranda doing this spring to make sure that hangover does not exist? Let's go to the Iowa State Cyclones. Can you teach a team to win close games in the spring? That's my question for Iowa State and Matt Campbell. I don't think you can, but we'll find out. When you look at last year, you have the one-point loss to Iowa. You've got the two-point loss to Baylor. You've got the touchdown loss to Oklahoma State. You've got the, you know, one-point loss against OU. So all these close losses for a team that a lot of people thought could compete for the Big 12 title last year, it didn't happen because they did not get it done in close games. I don't know how you teach a team to win close games in spring ball. I don't know how you do it, but if there's a way to do it, Matt Campbell and the Cyclones have got to figure that out. So let's go to KU. Is there something to build on here? You know, is there something to build on here? Last year, you look at it, all right, some good wins, Boston College, Texas Tech, some close losses. But is that just a flash in the pan? Is that just like, okay, we had some seniors, some upperclassmen, they got a couple of wins they maybe shouldn't have gotten, and now we're back to one win a year. Or is there something to build on? There's a ton of young players 
coming in, you know, not a bunch of JUCO guys, just a bunch of young high school guys coming in in this recent class. You know, not a ton of them are there just yet, but we're going to get a good feel on whether or not there's something to build on, especially when you got to get a new quarterback there in Lawrence with Carter Stanley gone. At K-State, who the heck's playing on the offensive line? That's what I want to know. Kansas State lost every one of its starts from last year's offensive line, 159 career starts overall. No line in America, never mind the Big 12, is dealing with that kind of an overhaul. And, and when you rely on a physical running game, when you rely on clock control, boy, that is the biggest thing that Chris Kleiman has got to figure out with this team heading into this season. And there's just no doubt about it. It's not even close. Does he have the horses on the offensive line to step in and get the job done? And considering towards the end of Bill Snyder's tenure, you know, he didn't do a great job on the recruiting trail. We'll learn a lot more about those classes here uh, during spring ball for Kansas State. For OU, the biggest question, we're going team by team in the Big 12. Biggest question heading into spring ball, can Spencer handle the pressure? That being Spencer Rattler. One of the top quarterbacks in the country came in last year during the class of 2019. Redshirted this past season. He replaces the great trio of Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts. What's interesting, though, is this is the first quarterback we've seen Lincoln Riley work with from start to finish. And I'm not denying that Lincoln Riley, you know, is going to be able to develop anybody at that position. But it's interesting because, you know, Mayfield came in. He was there transfer. Murray came in transfer. Hertz transfer from Alabama. This is the first guy we'll have seen Lincoln Riley with from high school to the field at OU. And that is very interesting. And, and you know, Rattler's got huge shoes to fill. Think about those three guys. And he's a redshirt freshman. So I know he's probably good. They're going to say he's in a quarterback battle with Tanner Mordecai. I don't know when they would announce that. But we'll find out what exactly we're working with here when we talk about Spencer Rattler. It's going to be very, very interesting. At Oklahoma State, how much hype is there going to be? That's what I want to know. How much hype is there going to be with this Oklahoma State team that people are calling a dark horse for the college football playoff. We know Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard are back. You've got Spencer Sanders with another year under his belt. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reason for optimism. I'm very, very open to that. I know the optimism exists. It is real. There's no doubt in my mind that it is going to continue. But as spring ball goes on and people are looking for storylines, are we actually talking about Oklahoma State crashing the college football playoff? A lot of guys back on defense. The, the media is going to determine that. And, you know, that's the more content that we're going to get from the national guys and then, of course, the local guys in Oklahoma City and gals. Uh, we'll see what those expectations are set at and what they're going to be like here as we go from spring camp into the summer where there's going to be plenty of time to talk and write and, and do all those great things uh, that we do during the preseason or, and get ready for the regular season. So top storyline, top question for me at Texas, how do the players and the staff interact? I, this is a total overhaul for Tom Herman, top to bottom, right? He's got new coordinators, Mike Yersich, formerly of Oklahoma State at OC. He's got Chris Ash, formerly the head coach at Rutgers on the defensive side. Six new assistants. Now, recently, Tom Herman, I told you this last week, he went to Notre Dame where they totally blew up their staff after the 2016 season, and they've won 33 games the past three years. 
So it makes sense that Tom Herman spent some time with Brian Kelly. But all these guys who were recruited by most likely somebody else, like how do they handle that? Do they want to play for these new guys? Are they motivated? Is there trust there between this staff and these players? Or some of these players like, you know what, one more year, I'm going to the NFL, I'm getting out of Dodge, I just got to do me. Like, what is that relationship like? We'll have an idea, not a great idea, but we will have an idea as spring camp rolls along. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. At TCU, how's the offense? What does the offense look like for the TCU Horn Frogs? You've got Jerry Kill in there, and, you know, he's somebody who has basically been in charge of revamping the offense. He's the head coach of the offense, right? That, that's what he basically is. He was brought in to be the head coach of the offense. And we all know TCU needs some spark on that side of the ball. They need it desperately. Max Duggan had an okay freshman year, but he still has a lot of room to grow. I mean, he's got, he's got work to do to be a legit top-tier Big 12 quarterback. So he was much better with his legs than he was through the air, and let's see if that improves during spring ball and if this team can use the offensive weapons that it has to score some points. The defense was fine last year. That wasn't the problem. The problem for TCU was the offense. They got to get that thing back on track if Gary Patterson wants to get back to having a chance to win Big 12 championships, which he did just a couple of years ago. The top question at Texas Tech, do we have a quarterback battle on our hands? I talked to Matt Wells on this show a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you know, is Alan Bowman your starter? He's like, Alan Bowman's getting the first team snaps, but Maverick MacGyver is going to be in there as well. Now, MacGyver was a guy who came in uh, last year, ended up redshirting after a leg injury, suffered during preseason practices, and, you know, he was, he was the real deal. Honorable mention All-State out of San Angelo, Texas. A real good player. A consensus three-star guy, but a high three-star guy. Uh, he was rated the number 18 dual-threat quarterback in the country. He had offers from, you know, big programs. USC, Iowa, Miami. I mean, he was, uh, he was in good shape there. So he had offers. And just hearing Matt Wells talk about him, he clearly likes the guy. And I think he's going to get a shot. For the West Virginia Mountaineers, top question heading into spring ball, is Jarrett Daigie for real? This team struggled last year. They lost five in a row, October to November. They closed the season winning two of three, including a very nice win against Kansas State. And Jarrett Daigie looked good, but is this one of those things where now people have tape on him and maybe he's not as good as he looked? I mean, Austin Kendall was unimpressive last year. I'm glad that Neil Brown pulled the string on Austin Kendall. It was time for him to, to take a seat and see what Daigie's got, and that was the right move. And now Daigie's got some swagger and confidence going into spring ball, and we'll see. We won't know for sure until game action what he really is, but we'll have an idea on, first off, what Neil Brown thinks he is, what kind of leader he is, and just how he looks in spring camp, and I can't wait. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Great to have you on board. It's March. Spring ball is here. It also means March Madness is here. Matthew Postens is going to join us, talk some Big 12 hoops coming up next. Hey, guys, it's Pete Mundo, and March Madness is here. Yes, we've made it through the winter, and we're all going to go nuts watching these games. And our friends at mybookie.ag have got us covered. The best part is one result's not going to ruin your tournament. The brackets are fun, but... There are no busted brackets. If your picks go bad one day, guess what? You start fresh the next day. That's the best part of it. So make my bookie your sportsbook home for March Madness. MyBookie.ag today 
and deposit with the promo code BIG12, that's BIG12, for a 50% sign-up bonus. You can get a free entry into a $5,000 blackjack tournament. You can get a free World Series futures bet. You can get casino chips all by depositing at mybookie.ag. Promo code BIG12, that's BIG12, for your 50% sign-up bonus and all the other benefits. Make MyBookie your sportsbook home for March Madness and beyond. MyBookie.ag, promo code BIG12, BIG12, for a 50% sign-up bonus at MyBookie. You play, you win, you get paid. Well, as we do each and every time this week, let's welcome on Matthew Poston. Joining us, I'm Pete Mundo. We are Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Uh, Matthew, KU, they at least clinch a share of the Big 12 championship after taking care of business on Wednesday night against TCU. For where this team was before the season, all the -the off-the-court issues around uh, the program and what's going to happen there potentially with the NCAA, how impressed have you been by Bill Self keeping this team uh, pretty focused? Yeah, it's been a pretty impressive job. And I think one thing that has really helped them a lot is, for the most part, they've avoided injuries. Um, I thought one of the biggest gambles they actually took at the start of the season was to go ahead and redshirt Mitch Lightfoot, uh, a player who had been a real, you know, kind of a Swiss Army knife type of guy for them the last couple of years. Uh, he chose to redshirt. They supported it. Uh, he'll be back next year. So I think the biggest thing they had to do was they had to find those one or two guys that could come off the bench and do some of those things that they needed to be done that Lightfoot was so good at. Uh, Christian Brown's done that uh, to some degree. Um, Isaiah Moss has come off the bench to some degree and, and given them some good three-point shooting. But really, this team is built around the two guys I think we all thought they were going to be built around uh, at the beginning of the year, as Beakway and Dotson. It's not a real surprise to see Dotson playing as well as he's played. Uh, as a Beakway is a guy who has really battled injuries the last two years and really hasn't developed into the type of player that I think we all thought he could be until this year. And really the last eight, 10 games of conference play, he's been one of the most consistent players in the conference, regardless of position, uh, and really is showing that he can be uh, a real star for them down the stretch and a real impact player in the NCAA tournament. Devin Dotson, Matthew, he's he's gone, right? I I think so. Uh, it, it's hard to say right now. Um, most NBA uh, writers have him as a second round pick. Uh, he could play his way into a first round pick. The way I always look at early entries is this: if you're a lottery pick or you're a projected lottery pick, and the NBA says you're a projected lottery pick, you should go ahead and go. And that's mm-hmm. Tyrese Halliburton right now for Iowa State. Uh, Jameis Ramsey is the only other player from the Big 12 that I have seen in the first round of most mock drafts. Uh, I had saw one mock draft with him going to uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, which isn't a bad place to go if you're going to go late in the first round. Uh, but, you know, Dotson is going to be a guy kind of like a Devontae Graham. Is he going to be an early second-round guy? Is he going to be a late first-round guy? Um, obviously, he he improved in every area of his game this year. He really did take advantage of the scouting process last year when he declared – went through the whole NBA combine, got his report card, got the information of what he needed to improve on, and he, he improved on it in spades this year. I personally think he'll go ahead and take the next step and move to the NBA, but I think the one caveat is he may or may not be a first-round pick, and if there's some question about that, 
if I'm the player, I think long and hard about playing college basketball one more year to play my way into a what what you would hope would be a guaranteed first round pick. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, I think he's probably gone. Well, Matthew, let's go from the top to the bottom of the Big 12, Kansas State. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we talked about them. Our friends at Go Power Cat wrote a story about, you know, going from first to worst. I I know that Bruce Weber, you know, has a great track record, awesome resume, and did win a Big 12 title last year. But how disappointing is this season uh, for everybody in Manhattan? I think it has to be very disappointing, especially when you consider – Uh, the past couple of years, reaching the Elite Eight and going to the NCAA tournament last year. But you know what? I I saw it coming, not this bad, not nine wins bad going into the final weekend. But they did not do a good job of developing the talent beyond their big three from last year and Cartier Giara and Xavier Sneed. There isn't much on that bench uh, in terms of what they developed the last couple of years. Mike McGurl has had a couple of good games for them. Uh, at times, but you know he really has not been the uh, developed player that I think Kansas State was hoping for. So they really had to make do with JUCO guys, freshmen, guys who have given them solid minutes at times. But as you would expect from players playing their first year in Division One basketball, they've been inconsistent. And add to that the fact that Xavier Sneed himself has been inconsistent uh, from game to game, uh, especially in the offensive end. Cartier Giar has probably been their best player uh, this year, and you know he. Bruce Weber's got a good recruiting class coming in next year. They won 14 games, I think, five years ago, and they bounced back uh, to get to the NCAA tournament two years later. Uh, But he's got to go find some guys that can make an impact for his team next season, and he's got to develop these young guys that he has now to become something down the line, unlike the guys they were unable to develop with, with Dean Wade, Barry Brown Jr., and Kamal Stokes running the show. Matthew Post and HeartlandCollegeSports.com is joining us here on the show. Matthew, uh, what do you think Steve Prohm's deal is? I mean, it's been some chatter on our message boards about this saying he's not in trouble, but next year could be a pretty defining year for Steve Prohm. How do you see that playing out based on how this year has gone? Well, when you have a team that's toggled between a losing season and a winning season and a losing season over three years, uh, as a fan base, I think questions are certainly warranted. Uh, I think the big problem Iowa State had this year is, you know, obviously the Halliburton injury didn't help, but I, I think we probably overestimated the impact that guys like Prentice Nixon would have on them. Not so much from the fact that Nixon hasn't played well for them. He's played well for them, especially since Halliburton uh, had to exit due to his injury. But I think we expected them to have more impact at the beginning of the season. Michael Jacobson hasn't had the impact that he had a year ago. Uh, Solomon Young has had a nice year uh, this year, but he, you know, he hasn't had quite the impact that I think they were hoping for from him inside either. It, it's kind of a similar case to Kansas State, except their roster was a little more developed. They got a really great find in Rasir Bolton, uh, the transfer from Penn State. But it, it's, it, I think it's more chemistry than anything else. I, I think they've got some good talent. I just don't think the chemistry came together for this group. I think they became too reliant on Tyrese Halliburton too many times this season. And they really didn't have a consistent second or third option, especially when it came down late in games when it mattered most. Matthew, a team that two weeks ago we were talking about, you know, the coach getting fired is now on fire, and that is Shaka Smart and his Texas Longhorns, winners of five in a row heading into Oklahoma State on Saturday. I mean, is this team, if you look at the standings, Matthew, they're in third place in the Big 12. I mean, is this team Mm -hmm. uh, going to the big dance 
It's a really good question. Uh, I think that they're playing their way into the NCAA tournament. Uh, Jerry Palm seems to agree, at least for the moment. He has them as one of the last four teams in the tournament. Uh, Joe Lenardi at ESPN disagrees. He still has Texas as his next four out. So he thinks that Texas still has some work to do. But when you consider the fact that this is their first uh, win streak or five or more games since December, they beat two ranked teams back-to-back, one of them on the road. They, they really, they're really starting to make that case to the committee that, you know, we know we haven't had quite the season we were expecting to have. But if you look at our last seven, eight, nine, ten games of the season, you're going to see a team that is finally on a hot streak and finally moving forward. And the committee takes that into account when they determine the at-large teams. Uh, they look at what you did in your last 10 games to see if there's a, a, a metric there that would lead them to believe that this team would be successful in the NCAA tournament. Uh, really, every team they select, whether especially in the at-large, they're looking for teams they believe will be successful in the NCAA tournament. Now, two things that they will probably also have to consider. Uh, Jace Febris is out for the year with a knee injury. Uh, Jericho Sims, their, their top center, is also out right now with an injury. Uh, not sure when he's coming back. So they've really had to cobble together an interior game with a bunch of guys who have played nice roles that aren't giving them the dominant performances that Jericho Sims was doing a month ago. And yet Texas has found a way to win five games in a row, mostly because uh, they're outside players, Matt Coleman, uh, Andrew Jones, uh, and uh, the rest of them, Courtney Ramey, have found their three-point shot finally this late in the season. Matthew, we got about a minute here. I want to just talk with you about big picture NCAA tournament, Big 12 tournament next week. When we stay here on Selection Sunday, how many Big 12 teams do you think are dancing? I think five. And I, I think the bubble, the two bubble teams right now are Texas and Oklahoma. I, I think the other four, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Kansas, Baylor, I think they're all locked. I and mean, there's been some questions about Texas Tech. I personally think Texas Tech is going to make it in the, in the tournament regardless of what happens down the line, but I think their cap's going to be five. Uh, I think between Oklahoma and Texas, whichever one of them doesn't make the NCAA will probably be one of the top seeds in the NIT. And if you're thinking about that metric of last 10 games, well, guess what Texas did the other night? They beat Oklahoma. So Mm -hmm. that could be a determining factor in whether or not Texas or Oklahoma goes to the tournament. He's Matthew Post, and you read him all the time on heartlandcollegesports.com. Does a great job covering the entire Big 12 basketball scene top to bottom. Always great to have him on, Matthew. Appreciate the time. We'll see you in Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament next week. Looking forward to that, and safe travels. Thanks. Appreciate it. Coming up next, Mike Plank, Rock Chalk Talk. We will do a deep dive into the Jayhawks, everything happening in Lawrence. That's coming up on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So let's spend the final few minutes of the show uh, looking back on the 2017 Big 12 recruiting classes. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. Put our heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. So I like to go back and after each recruiting cycle takes place, just look at some of the recruiting rankings from three years ago and see what we got right, what we got wrong. And I don't mean us necessarily. I mean like the – two four sevens of the world the rivals of the world because they do this for a living right i mean they rank which team is at the top of the recruiting classes and whatnot and i don't deny for a second that you know if you're alabama if you are georgia if you're clemson ohio state 
these places recruit well. They're always in the running for a national championship. So, like, I, the recruiting rankings work. But to the credit of teams like Oklahoma State and Kansas State that seem to exceed the expectations, they deserve props as well. So I went back to the 2017 recruiting classes and said, you know what, let's look at what's going on here three years later. And let's re-rank them, and let's see who actually rises to the top. I think it's always a very interesting case study to do because you can't do it one year out. You can't do it two years out. I think you really have to be about three years out to be able to have that conversation. And when you look back on 2017, the order does change a little bit. I still think OU stays at number one, which they were back in 2017 in the Big 12. C.D. Lamb, Kennedy Brooks, uh, both in those classes, Trey Sermon in the mix as well. Creed Humphreys, one of the best linemen in the conference, if not the country. Marquise Brown, who's now in the NFL, was in that class. Kenneth Murray was in that class. That's a darn good class. At number two, though, that's where it gets interesting. Baylor, I put at number two if we re-rank the 2017 classes, which at the time was ranked as the fifth best class in the Big 12. That was Matt Rule's first class. And don't forget that for Matt Rule, that class, if you look back on it, that class was ranked as, you know, it was it was a decent class, but it was more a numbers class. Matt Rule had to get the numbers back up because of all the guys leaving the football program, and he got them back up from, you know, the numbers they were at. He had, like, almost 30 guys in that class. And some of the players in that class, James Lynch, 2019 Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year was in that class, R.J. Sneed, Gavin Holmes, Xavier Newman, a lot of guys, John Lovett, Treston Ebner, all guys, and Terrell Bernard, arguably the best linebacker in the Big 12 for the second half of the season, was an unheralded three-star guy in that class. I mean, this is the class that turned around Baylor football and launched Matt Rule into the NFL. So it's a, it's a very good class, a very underrated class at the time, and it helped turn Baylor into you know a national team this past year. So kudos to them for that. Baylor's now at number two. Oklahoma State goes from four to three, and that's because that class included Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace. Yeah, I, I thought I'd have them at two, but I put them at three because Baylor got to the Big 12 title game this past year, something that obviously Wallace and Hubbard have not yet done. This class also included Malcolm Rodriguez, who was the team's leading tackler in 2019. So as much as we give Mike Gundy a hard time for – how he does or does not recruit up to expectations sometimes. He did a pretty darn good job with that class, and they should be a dark horse for not just a Big 12 title, but also a uh, maybe a college football playoff appearance this year if things break right. At number four, you've got the Texas Longhorns. They were second back in 2017. Sam Ellinger's in that class. First time Texas got itself a quarterback in a decade, so you got to give him credit for that. Uh, but there's a definite drop-off after Ellinger. There's good players, you know, Samuel Cosme, uh, Cade Brewer, Gary Johnson was a good linebacker, Daniel Young, but not outstanding, not outstanding at all. Uh, Tennille Carter, Taquan Graham, guys that didn't reach the potential. Reese Leah, uh, how do you say his last name again? Leah Tao never came close to expectations. So I put Texas at four. TCU was third back in 2017. I have him at five. Jalen Rager highlighted that class, total stud. But and Garrett Wallow also in that class, but Sean Robinson quarterback didn't pan out and uh, it did not live up, at least as of right now, to some of the lofty expectations. Iowa State was seven back in 2017. I've got them at six. 
good players in that class. Ray Lima, obviously a stud at defensive tackle. Orion Vance, Matthew Eaton, Jake Hummel. So impressed there by Iowa State, but right about where they uh, were back in 2017. Texas Tech was sixth back in 17. I bumped them down to seven for this class. Uh, Octavius Morgan, nice player, but that was the second best recruit in the class. Dakota Allen, Rico Jeffers, good linebackers. Adrian Fry's a real solid cornerback, but it wasn't a great class by any expectations. Kansas State was ninth back in 17. I bumped them up to eight as we re-ranked the 2017 recruiting classes. Daniel Green, Eli Walker, and Wyatt Hubert, all really good contributors. After that, not much. Landry Weber? Does that name move the needle for you, K-State fans? Uh, it shouldn't. So I've got them from nine up to eight. And for West Virginia, I moved them down. They were eighth in 2017. I bumped them down to nine. The top recruit in this class was a guy named Derek Pitts. He ended up transferring to Marshall. Some good players, David Sills, second time around. Uh, Darius Stills, a stud on the D-line, but a lot of average or flat-out misses in this class. And at 10, Kansas, they were ranked 10 back in 2017. Uh, Dominic Williams, Hassan Defense, J.J. Holmes, Peyton Bender, uh, Quan Hampton, nice players, but, I mean, how do you put them above 10? I hate to say it. So there you have it. We're re-ranking the 2017 recruiting classes in the Big 12. I'm Pete Mundo. We are Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Always great to have you tuning into the show. We appreciate that and appreciate you. And we've got the Big 12 tournament coming up next week in my town of Kansas City. So be sure to check out a lot of coverage on the site. And don't forget, we're giving away Big 12 tournament semifinal tickets, the doubleheader on Friday night. Yes, the doubleheader on Friday night. We've got tickets for you. In Kansas City at the Big 12 Tournament, all you have to do to be entered to win, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, and send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we will get you entered to win.